And so then when I started to think that, I thought, oh, my Lord, the people who told me that he could be vulnerable to fascist ideas might be right. You're listening to Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. This is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big things. Um, I'm Luke T. Harrington, award-winning novelist, best-selling humorist, and unlike the President of the United States, I still have a functional Twitter account. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter, at Luke T. Harrington. I mostly post obscure church history jokes. So there you go. Uh, Yesterday, I posted a picture of my dog chewing on a stuffed snake, and I captioned it, Satan Guinefor, 13th century, colorized. And about eight people got the joke, which I feel like that was a pretty good number. Um, Yeah, these are uh, dark times in America. Um, As I record this, we are... Nine days removed from what I think could be accurately called an attempted coup by the outgoing president of the United States. Um, I will talk about that a little more in the recording. Um, But shortly after uh, that occurred, I saw a Facebook post from a friend of a friend, a guy named Hunter Baker, who is an author and an academic um, and an evangelical you know, a conservative evangelical Christian. Uh, He said, you know what? I supported Trump. I voted for him twice. And it turns out I was very, very wrong. And I saw that and I said, we need to get that guy on the show. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and flip you over to that conversation. And I will see you on the other side. Hunter, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be with you. Hunter is the Dean of Arts and Sciences at Union University in Tennessee. Um, Do you want to tell people what that means real quick? Yeah. uh, So the arts and sciences are sort of the traditional disciplines, your your English, your history, uh, your uh, social sciences, you know, uh, all of the traditional academic disciplines are kind of there except for theology, which we have as a separate program at Union. Perfect. Yeah. Um, And just so listeners know, Hunter and I have really not um, interacted much at all before this recording. Um, What happened was I... um, I saw a Facebook post uh, from from Hunter. Basically, the gist of it was I supported Trump and I no longer can. Um, now, as we record this, we're about two days removed from, I think I'm safe to say that it's probably the darkest day in U.S. history in my lifetime. Um, we had uh, what at the very least would be, cons- I think you could call an act of sedition at the U.S. Capitol. Um, I'm sure if you're listening, you probably heard about it. 
And as someone who has a show about people who change their minds, uh, I kind of, you know, I, <laughs> my antenna went up and I said, oh man, I need to, uh, I need to have this conversation. Um, I need, need to get this guy on my show. Um, now, I feel like <laughs> in the interest of um, putting everything ab- above table here, you know, I am not someone who has ever supported Trump. Um, I am, you know, what, what you might call a quote unquote conservative in the theological sense, Christian, uh, more of a leftist politically. So I've always been uh, kind of deeply skeptical at best of this kind of marriage between conservative Christianity and the Republican Party. So, um, you know, I'm not predisposed to be super, uh, super sympathetic to your political views, but that's not the point here. Um, I'm trying to take a, an empathetic stance because um, ultimately what this show is, is about is, um, you know, the process of, of changing your mind and what leads people to change their mind um, and not about, you know, the questions of politics per se, although we probably will get into that. Um, but I just, I kind of want to just let you kind of tell your story Um so, I don't know. Um, obviously, you uh, you you were a Trump supporter until a couple of days ago. Um, so, do you want to maybe go into that? Um, sure. To talk about what you what led you there in the first place. Yeah. Well, let me say let me say something real quick. First of all, I don't think it was the darkest day. Uh, you were probably alive on September 11. I was alive in September. Oh, yeah. It's it's a it's a little bit hard to compare those two days. Um, we, we, that's the darkest day. I mean, you the uh, you know we had the the World Trade Center and the Pentagon had planes fly into them. Uh, sure, for sure. That, that was pretty huge. Uh, but this was this was bad. Uh, it was very bad. Top five, at least. Let's say. <laughs> no, I mean it could have and it could have been much much worse. I mean, so first of all. Um, I don't love the language Trump supporter. Uh, and the reason I say that is that from my perspective, uh, Americans are in a particular position. Um, we mm-hmm. have, we have a binary political system. For it, sure. For sure. Right? And so, uh, you know, if, if I lived in say Angela Merkel's Germany, Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have my options to vote for the social Democrats, the Christian Democrats, the the Greens, the uh, the FDP, which is more libertarian type party. Uh, you know, there'd be a lot of options for sure. And, for sure, and I could vote for any of those, and I would not be throwing my vote away mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because because th- what happens is is that no party really ever wins fifty percent. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you end up having a coalition form, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if that had happened in the United States in 2016, I would have voted for somebody other than Donald Trump. For sure. Um, and then perhaps whoever I voted for might have ended up in a coalition mm-hmm. uh, that would still have the chance to govern, affect public policy, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. That was not available to me. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I am... Uh, I am a, <clears throat> I am a Christian who is, uh, so I would share being theologically conservative with you. And, uh, I have always tended to be politically conservative. Uh, although part of that, part of that could be shaped by the age in which I grew up. I'm 50 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the cold war was really, really a thing when I sure. was growing up. And, 
so there's always a tendency with me to equate the political left with uh, sort of the extreme mistakes of, of the Soviet Union or Mao's China or Castro's Cuba, you know, things of that nature. Sure. Uh, not that I would say that American Democrats have ever really been there. Uh, it's more like that I fear that they will slide off the cracker into that uh, <laughs> kind, of, <laughs> yeah. kind of thinking. Um, yeah. So, so you know, and, and of course, also I'm, I'm pro-life, uh, which, mm-hmm. and again, when I was younger, there were actually options there. There were there were some prominent pro life Democrats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At one point, Al Gore was pro life. At one point, uh, uh, Teddy Kennedy was pro life. At one point, Jesse Jackson was pro life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they all changed their minds, right? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's one issue, and of course, the other one, which has really been the defining issue in my career, is religious liberty. And for uh, sure. You know, so I believe very strongly in that. And again, that has turned into a sort of a party line issue, which, again, is something different. Uh, When I was first first becoming a religious liberty type person in law school, you know, back in those days, people thought that a Carter appointee was better than a Reagan appointee Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. as a judge on those sort of issues. But with increased secularization, the Democrats uh, have kind of lost respect for religious liberty. And a lot of that is tied to the direction of the sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so in any case, that's, that's, so I would say that I was a person who in 2016, I really didn't know if I was going to be able to vote for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll tell you, I, I, and I didn't know all the way until I walked into the voting booth mm-hmm. and um at the last minute, I realized that I felt like I needed to do it, and I did. Uh, and, um, but even then, I actually I, I led a journal symposium in political science uh, mm. whether or not we could import German style Christian democracy to the United States. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote an essay to that effect in Modern Age, which is a conservative journal. Um, but I will say this, over time, I did feel that Donald Trump's public policy, generally mm-hmm. speaking, was pretty good. Uh, so, you know, immediately, let me say, this is not an endorsement of white nationalism or some <laughs> like that. I mean, sure. uh, and, and, I, and I never did like all the immigration stuff either. I, to, mm-hmm. me, to me, his views on immigration were... Uh, pretty much counter to the kind of thing that I would say to college students. Uh, you know, typically I say to Christian college students that, that it's okay to want, uh, you know, borders and border enforcement and mm-hmm. uh, orderly procedures, but a Christian should probably never be like a border hawk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that Christians should probably, uh, look more, instead of kind of national identity, look at the brotherhood and sisterhood of men and women under the fatherhood of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So so despite all that, though, I thought that he was right about tax policy. I thought he was right about his engagement with China. I thought that uh, we need to be a lot tougher with China than we have been. Um, I thought that he was good with the economy. You know, there are significant statistics to show that he was helping blue collar people significantly. Uh, income growth at the bottom of the scale. So there, there were a lot of things that I thought validated my viewpoint. Okay, sure. So I Can I ask say, you one thing before we before yeah, we go on? Yeah. Though you're in Tennessee. <laughs> I am. Yes. Um, Tennessee is a deeply red state. 
Um, it, it, so has, t- it has become so, yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. T- t- so in 2016, Tennessee was pretty much guaranteed to go for Trump, regardless of how you voted. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I don't know if you want to comment on that. Like, to me, like, <laughs> I, you know, I, I um, in 2016, this is no longer the case, but in 2016, I lived in Oklahoma, which I believe is the reddest state in the country in terms of presidential votes. Um, so I, you know, I walked into the poll knowing that it literally did not matter how I voted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, now Oklahoma also doesn't allow for third parties or write in votes. So, you know, my, my choice literally was, uh, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. So I, I ended up checking the box for Hillary just for this, the heck of it. And everything about 2016 made it clear that neither leftists nor pro-lifers were welcome in the democratic party. So I was like, okay. Um, but anyway, the point is, <laughs> the point is, um, if you're, if you're voting in a state guaranteed to go to Trump, why do you feel the need to give your vote to Trump if you have such deep misgivings about him? To me, it's a moral cop-out to say, I'm not going to vote that way because I assume other people will do so. Hmm. Uh, you know, I felt like it was important to bear the weight of the decision hmm. uh, to vote with what, I, what my desire was to occur. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of the available options, and so so that's how I voted. Um, mm-hmm. Like I say, I struggled. I was I was either going to vote for Trump or I was going to vote for, I guess the guy's name was Evan McMullen. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, kind of the the uh, Republican alternative to Trump. Um, right, and I, anyway, I I mean you know that's it's just kind of it, it it ended up. You know, like I say, I this is part of this is part of the whole thing about changing the mind, though, because because I viewed myself as somebody who was willing to pay the cost uh, to to bear the moral weight of electing Donald Trump. Okay, Uh, sure, and and so I had a lot of friends who were like, "Oh, I can't vote for him." But I live in a state where, uh, you know, that will happen anyway. And from my perspective, that was a weak way to approach it. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's kind of like you're a moral free rider, right? You you know, Mm -hmm. and there were a lot of conservatives who were never Trumpers who after the election said that they were relieved that Hillary lost, Mm -hmm. but they Mm -hmm. had been totally opposed to Trump. And, uh, you know, to me, I, I just didn't think that made sense. Uh, in terms of my own voting behavior. Uh, hmm. But, but you know, uh, so, I mean, you may want to get into this more later, but, mm-hmm. but what I, you know, so I was actually more comfortable voting for him the second time than the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the reason I was more comfortable was because uh, I felt that he had actually governed reasonably well. He was always a, a bit of a source of scandal. And and certainly I could never understand the Christians who would act as though he was a Christian. I, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I never got that. I personally think that, uh, that a lot of people are excessively tied to Christianity as a sociological religion. Every culture has a cult. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of American Christians are very uncomfortable at the fact that Christianity is ceasing to be the American cult. Sure. Uh, and so I guess a lot of them 
put faith in Donald Trump as a person who would sort of prevent that change from happening or increasing or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I don't know if you want to get into the, the nitty gritty of this. You say he governed reasonably well. (laughs) Um, And I mean, we can talk about this for maybe a couple of minutes. I feel like, okay, if you're a conservative and what you really want is Supreme Court or conservative court justices, not just Supreme Court, but conservative court justices in general, he definitely delivered on that. (laughs) That was the, that was the basic deal. That's really critical. You have to understand that because, because when he ran, you know, the thing that made him acceptable because originally he would talk about who he wanted for Supreme court justices. And he would say stuff like his sister. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who, by the way, is a federal judge or was okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She was not the kind of person that conservatives would want at all. Sure. And, and so he would say stuff like that and that would just be kind of horrifying. Mm -hmm, Uh, But mm -hmm. then, you know, somebody got to him, I guess people at the federalist society or something. And they basically said, look, Here's a list of the people that you should choose from. And he adopted that list. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was one thing. The other thing was, and this is the thing that uh, if you go back to 2008, Rudy Giuliani was still a hero in the wake of September 11. Okay. Sure. sure. He had been and probably still is the most successful mayor of New York City that I can think of. And Giuliani wanted to run for the Republican nomination but he couldn't get anywhere because he wouldn't say the words, I am Mm pro-life. He wouldn't even say the words, I think Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided. Mm -hmm. That killed him. Mm -hmm. But you know who took a lesson from that? (laughs) Donald Trump. (laughs) And so Donald Trump was, you know, he he just, in the middle of one of the debates, he just suddenly said, I'm pro-life, you know, and he kind of gave a rationale for why he was pro-life. And that was- That was critical. You know, you uh, to say it in a not very nice way, he demonstrated rat-like cunning uh, <laughs> in, that, in that moment. Yeah. So I, 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 get the, I get the judge thing. I get the judge yeah. thing. Um, from every other angle I, I look at the Trump presidency from, it just, it, it looks like such a disaster to me. Like he couldn't even it's keep his cabinet positions filled. <laughs> you can't make that argument. I really? Mean, every other angle... Every other angle besides he couldn't, he couldn't keep people in his cabinet. He could, could he failed to appoint half the, no, but, the look at the but look at the look at the basic record. I mean, look the the uh, the president of the, the sorry the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell. Uh huh. Jerome Powell was not a Trump ally, and in fact, Trump would criticize him. You know, he was constantly railing against Jerome Powell, and Jerome Powell was the consummate professional. But one thing that Powell would say is he would say, look, uh, the reality is, is that this economic expansion more than others uh, is benefiting people at the bottom of the scale. That was part of uh, Trump's general economic philosophy. See, that's the thing that a lot of people miss is that he is so Trump ruined himself with his immature and childish behavior because the basic policy outlines I mean, there's really a sense in which Trump's public policy was an American Democrat, you know, circa 30 years ago, maybe even American Democrat like Dick Gephardt 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot about what he wanted to do in terms of trade, in terms of the way we dealt with corporations. 
you know, the way he would bully corporations not to move to Mexico or stuff, that was pure Democrat playbook in mm-hmm. the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was a very ardent defender of the interests of the working class. Uh, and it worked out reasonably well. I mean, I I have always been a laissez-faire free trade guy, but he showed me that those policies have not necessarily been as beneficial to the working class as I had thought they were. Uh, I mean, I think that there are a number of areas where his approach was uh, vindicated. It's just that he was such a ridiculously bad statesman. Uh, yeah. But the other, and the other thing that he did that was really necessary, and again, he's going to fail because they waited him out, was uh, engagement with China. Uh, we have tremendous problems with China, uh, you know, not only on human rights, but in terms of intellectual property, uh, in terms of the way that they deal with uh, with American corporations, uh, flood the American market with cheap goods and put American businesses out of business. Trump really took them on and he tried to uh, he tried to kind of level the playing field on trade. That, that's that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> I think I think China, and I immediately think Michael Bolton saying I was in the room when Trump shrugged and said, "Yeah, go ahead and round up the Muslims and put them in concentration camps." Now I know that's not all of Trump's policy. Well, um, I, can't, I can't deal with what somebody said. He said I can only deal with what I what I observe sure. in terms of concrete policy. What in terms of concrete policy do you think Trump did? For China, I, like I don't feel like I'm an expert on this. I'm willing to yeah. learn. You had a whole series of trade agreements that he was working out with China. I'm not a guy who's spending all my time listening to Rush Limbaugh, or I spend most of my time listening to CNBC. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. these big CEOs uh, would come on CNBC, and they would admit that the engagement with China was necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he was doing a lot of the right stuff. It's just that he he made himself so radioactive that he undermined a lot of what he was trying to do. And of course, there's also a question of, well, is it really that Trump was a was a genius about trade policy or was he just listening to the right people? Well, maybe he was listening to the right people. Yeah. Why don't we talk a little bit more about what what brought you to uh, uh, make, make that post the other day? Yeah. Um, because it was, it, I thought it was a very, um, very articulate and, and uh, very readable post. Um, it made, made your point very, very forcefully. So yeah, why don't you talk about what you said and why you said it and what brought you to that point? So the the headline is, ultimately, I was wrong about Trump, which people may be shocked by because I have now spent the past 15 minutes defending the Trump. <laughs> defending- I think the way you put it was um, you previously thought he was worth the trouble or worth the headaches or something. <laughs> yeah, you know, so here's, here's what you have to deal with. Um, so we talked about the binary system, right? You choose one or the other, and then you have to live with the policy, right? Mm-hmm. And... I looked at Trump and I said to myself, here's a guy who has built major buildings in massive cities around the world. That's a difficult thing to do. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he can't be just a rube. Mm -hmm. This is a guy, you know, real estate development of on that scale, that's a very difficult and challenging thing. And he was able to do it. And, and you have to deal with complex politics and, you know, unions, all kinds of stuff. He was able to do that. And so I kept telling myself, this is actually a very capable guy. 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I also looked at the fact that he had been on, good grief, he had been on NBC with a top 10 or top 20 television show for like 12 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, The Apprentice and The Celebrity Apprentice. And I thought, you know, surely you can't be just a total nut bar uh, <laughs> and, and operate at that level, right? I mean, he's at the highest level of American mm-hmm. sort of entertainment mm-hmm. and broadcasting, right? Mm-hmm. So what I told myself was, was that, that what he's doing is, is like a pro wrestling interview, right? <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's, he's being a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and the reason you would do that is, is that there's a, there's a lot of Americans who don't give a crap about politics. Okay. Or at least not the way it normally is. Sure. And he was trying to cut through the noise. Okay. That's what I was telling myself. He's, he's trying to cut through the noise to be heard. And, you know, and, and another thing that I kind of heard from one of the major journalists, I wish I could remember who it was cause I would give credit. But this journalist said that what Donald Trump did that was different was that he looked, you know, into the eyes, as it were, of this huge segment of the American public, you know, kind of this, this, especially the white working class, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He looked in the eyes and he said, I see you, right? Nobody else sees you. I see you, right? Mm -hmm. And that resonated with me. I understood that. I mean, I, you know, I'm aware of the kind of the, the social statistics and, you know, we have bizarrely among the white working class, unlike anybody else in the modern world, uh, their life expectancy diminished recently. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's that's unheard of mm-hmm. in the modern world for any group's life expectancy to diminish. And that that was the case with the white working class, you know, there's deaths of despair and the opioid abuse and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I found him distasteful, but I thought he's, this guy is reaching out to these people. And, and the other thing is, is that I ran for Congress in 2016 and, uh, you know, I was expecting the people I saw to be kind of these Ralph Lauren wearing penny loafer, you know, class of people. Mm-hmm. And that's not who I saw. You know, I saw I saw these kind of people that Donald Trump was reaching out to and and I saw that they felt that free trade had taken away a lot of their jobs. They felt that they needed a champion. You know, they felt like they needed somebody to help them keep the factories. I mean just stuff like that. And mm-hmm. uh and I thought, gosh, maybe there's maybe there's more to this guy than than I think there is. And so <clears throat> so you know I kind of I kind of revised my view or at least at least began to find him acceptable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, but here's, so, so then there's this huge debate among lifelong conservatives. Okay. Who I am, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be ridiculous for me to pretend that here I am, Mr. 100% open-minded, you know, political <laughs> guy. Okay. I'm not. Sure. My dad, my dad voted for Barry Goldwater. Okay. I mean, uh, <laughs> so, so there's that. But among Republicans, among conservatives, we we have had a very difficult four years over mm. Donald Trump. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of my closest friends, with whom I agree about everything, could not abide Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Right. And basically the case they made was 
he is not fit to be president of the United States. Mm-hmm. So, he, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you think the policy is good. He's sure. not fit to be the president of the United States. You can't go there. Okay. Sure. Sure. And, and so that divided so many of us from each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of my best friends. Now, you know, they could. Now, the fact that I went over and, and supported Trump, they could tolerate that because they understood that for me, it was never a, a heart and soul kind of thing. Right. I was mm-hmm. never I was never like a, you know, totally in the bank for Donald Trump. Sure. Uh, for me, it was very transactional. OK. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that having been said, it it had massive effects on the Republican movement. I mean, um mm-hmm. You know, I don't know the degree to which your listeners will know names like David French and and Jonah Goldberg. I imagine uh, at least some of them will. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, these are major writers for National Review, which is the flagship publication of conservatives. For sure. And both of them had to leave National Review because of their anti-Trumpism. You know, mm-hmm. fairly mm-hmm. severe anti-Trumpism. Uh, and yeah. the Weekly Standard, another pretty significant journal, uh, went out of business entirely. Mm-hmm. Because of the Trump issue, mm-hmm. uh, so there were huge. There's a, there's just so much tension about this, and and so what I'm what I'm saying in that post, what I'm what I'm apologizing for, is that I was in the group that that said Trump is worth it, right? Ultimately, the public policy we're going to get is worth it. The judges we're going to get is worth it, uh, and he'll be okay, right? Mm-hmm. And and I thought when I looked at my friends who were on the other side, I really said to myself, they're weak. Hmm. They're, they're intellectually weak. They're emotionally weak. They're psychologically weak. Uh, they can't see the bigger picture, right? Hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they do not have the capacity to look past the crudeness of Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm. And to see something more. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Uh, he loses the election. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> now, uh, Donald Trump got what, like 75 million votes mm-hmm. election, which other than Joe Biden is the most votes <laughs> yeah. anybody ever got. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, now what that tells me is that Donald Trump on one account is a phenomenally successful politician. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. The only person who ever got more votes is the guy running against him. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, why does that happen? That happens because as successful as he is at drawing people to his side, he is even more successful at attracting people who can't stand him. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, he generates more opposition than he does support. Mm-hmm. That's clear. So, you know, sure. all these people who are like, I don't understand. It's impossible that he lost. It should have been a landslide. You know, his own delusions. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's utterly ridiculous, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's more than clear to me. And I knew, I knew that if Donald Trump were able to win the election, it would be like it was last time. You know, mm-hmm. in 2016, he was just able to thread the needle. Mm-hmm. He kind of hit it perfectly. And as you pointed out, a lot of people hated Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> but this time you have Joe Biden, who we could just mark as, you know, unnamed Democrat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or safe, quiet old guy. 
<laughs> it's a pretty pretty milk toast candidate. Yeah, I don't exactly. Think a lot of you know, about that. I mean, it's, I give the Democrats credit for choosing him. I mean, yeah. I understand. I understand how people on the left would feel betrayed, but the Democrats mm. did the thing that would get the win, right? Okay? And it yeah. did get the win. And uh, and and so I knew I knew that that was that he was likely to lose. That it was entirely possible that he would lose. And even if you thought that the that the polling was wrong, which I thought it was, and it was, I didn't think it was that wrong, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I knew that at best, at best, he was going to squeak it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he loses, and then he just goes on this utterly delusional <laughs> arse, you know, of 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 acting like he won. Not only that, he won; he won by a landslide. <laughs> He may he may have even said that he thought he won California at mm-hmm. one point. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, ridiculous. Okay, <laughs> so so that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing, and I was very troubled by that. Um, but you know, that you have all these people making these uh, astounding claims about the fraud, right? You have you have Sidney Powell who's going to release the Kraken. You have uh, <clears throat> you have Lynn Wood. Uh, who is, uh, who, by the way, I don't know if people know who he is. He's the guy who won those huge settlements for Nick Sandman. Uh, the kid, you know, the kid who is, uh, the big network. Oh yeah. The, the Catholic kid at the. Yeah, yeah. Characterized mm-hmm. interaction with that, that native American man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Lynn Wood was his lawyer. Hmm. Uh, and so they won these large settlements from the big news networks. Mm-hmm. And um, so Lynn Wood was, you know, he was viewed with some esteem, right? You know, he had, he had, he had taken on the, the titans of media, right? Sure. So Lynn Wood starts making these big claims about fraud. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, you're starting to wonder, well, I mean, is there something to this? Yeah, you know, and, mm-hmm. the, and, and Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis. And, but the thing is, is that every time I heard Rudy Giuliani or Jenna Ellis, I would think, there's not enough here. There's not anywhere mm-hmm. close to enough here. Mm-hmm. I mean, my running assumption is there's a there's a low level of fraud going on in every election. Every election, yeah. yeah, yeah, but not you know not like massive results orienting fraud on a nationwide scale. And right. um, and so the kind of claims that Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis were making were those kind of claims. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But then you get this weird stuff like uh, like. You know, oh, uh, American forces in West in Germany have liberated some computer records, and I'm thinking you're telling me that our military <laughs> invaded Germany, <laughs> right? I mean, <clears throat> no, we didn't invade Germany, okay? Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, and, and and some of the stuff Lynn Wood said, it's like he's not jumping the shark; he's doing cannonballs over the shark, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, just utterly ridiculous. So that's that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. But then the second thing was, was that I start hearing people who are, who are totally in the tank for Trump, who are talking about him declaring martial law. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, what if Trump is listening to these kind of people, mm-hmm. right? Can I imagine anything worse <laughs> other than us being invaded by a foreign country mm-hmm. than Donald Trump declaring martial law to stay in power? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I'm I'm profoundly disturbed by that thought because and that's when I started to think maybe I was wrong because I started to think. In my heart, I think I know that he might take that seriously. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And so then when I started to think that, I thought, oh, my Lord, the people who told me that he could be vulnerable to fascist ideas might be right. Hmm. See, my running assumption had been that that he would be squarely within the American tradition, hmm. which which is a really important tradition. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, the peaceful transition of power after an election, this is a big, big deal. Mm-hmm. This is really important. I mean, there I have almost every day of my life I've been thankful that I'm an American. Sure. In part because of that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. That, that ultimately when it comes to our government and our laws, that we do not live in a chaotic Cthulhu type <laughs> world, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that things are predictable and that there's you know kind of a transparency and an accountability. And I started to realize that Donald Trump might be a threat to that. Hmm. Right. Uh, And then the other thing is, is that he starts encouraging people to mass in Washington, Mm D.C., right, Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. the time that they're going to certify the vote. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy is trying to I mean, he's trying to get a physically intimidating force into Washington, D.C., and he starts saying this stuff about Mike Pence. Mike Pence. We're counting on Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike Pence is going to come through for us. You know, sure do hope Mike Pence. As if, as if Mike Pence is going to seize the moment uh, and derail the transfer of power. Mm-hmm. I was horrified mm-hmm. by that thought. You know, and I mean, thank God. I just want to say, I know, I don't know what. How, how people think about Mike Pence. I mean, they probably look at him and say, he looks like the guy who wants to ban the X-Men. Uh, <laughs> but Mike Pence, Mike Pence, thank God, thank God, you know, stood in the mainstream of the American political tradition and did what he was supposed to do, right? Sure, sure. You know, ultimately, his master was not Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but he cared about American law and American traditions and doing things right and fundamental decency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I saw that, okay, I'll, I will tell you, first of all, I think that before COVID, I was reading a biography of uh, Benito Mussolini, mm-hmm. uh, who was the, he was actually the, I think the inventor of fascism. I think uh, most, most historians credit him that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and part of how Mussolini took power was basically, you know, you had a you had a certain degree of chaos going on in, in Italy. And he had his thugs basically march to Rome. Yeah. And, you know, this massive show of force, and he's able to convince the king to kind of certify him as the as the leader. And I'm thinking to myself, this scene in Washington, DC feels like that. Mm-hmm. It looks mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, this massive protest he's attracting, you know, and he's trying to cast Mike Pence as the king. Right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, who's going to kind of, you know, make this decree. And so once I saw that, all I can tell you is, is that I said to myself, my friends were right and I was wrong. Hmm. Uh, I was wrong about the character of Donald Trump and that that uh, he is a greater danger, far greater danger than I thought he was. I always I try to think the best of people. I always have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for instance, I don't like Barack Obama's policies, but I always admired him. I always mm-hmm. thought he was a brilliant man. Um, 
that he meant the best for for the United States, you know, I just simply disagreed with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, you know, so I always try to think the best, and I I tried to think the best about Donald Trump, but but in the end, he proved vulnerable uh, to his demons, mm-hmm. and uh, and mm-hmm. so so I had a lot of friends who said that that kind of thing was possible, and they were right, and that's why I was apologizing. <laughs> I don't feel super um, equipped to really be you know, the critic of Donald Trump, since, you know, even if he wasn't uh, a wreck of a human being, I would still disagree with most of his policies, Um, (laughs) which is why I'm thankful for people like David French. Um, But, um, you know, I've I've seen a lot of people say this, including a lot of conservative friends I have, a lot of, um, you know, um, people I I, I really respect who who will say, you know, look, look at some like, (laughs) <laughs> Let me put it this way. They'll look at something like what you wrote and say, we saw this coming four years ago. You know, we, we saw this coming from the Republican primary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let, and I, I could go on listing stuff, obviously, and I'm sure you'll interrupt me. But, <laughs> but um, you know, in the 2016 election, when it looked very probable he was going to lose for Hillary, he started going on and on about, oh, oh the system is rigged. The system is rigged. Um, like he really did intend to even back then, try to, uh, quote unquote, steal the election or, or however you want to put it w- using the court system, um, whether it was going to be successful or not, who knows. But, um, you know, we saw this back in the summer when he <clears throat> basically gassed an entire churchyard full of, from what <laughs> we can tell from eyewitness testimony was, you know, essentially, um, uh, you know, peaceful protesters in order to from my perspective, engage in this flagrant act of blasphemy of just waving a Bible around, um, for the cameras. Like I, I just, I mean, I, I, you know, I could go on and on and on. He refused to, um, refused to denounce white supremacists, uh, demonstrating in, was it, was it Virginia or Charlottesville? It was Charlottesville. Um, you know, even after like people had died in this demonstration, he still took another 24 hours to come out and say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. White supremacy is bad. Like, I, I just feel like <laughs> whether you want to call it authoritarianism or fascism or whatever, I feel like it's always been very, very obvious in his character. Um, and I, I guess, I, you know, I, like, like I said, I'm not I'm not the only one saying this. There have been a lot of conservatives saying it, as, as you've acknowledged. I, I guess I'm just wondering, what is it about this event two days ago that finally pushed you over the edge? You know, well, I told you I compared it to Mussolini. I mean, uh-huh. I mean, that's, that's epic, right? I mean, the Charlottesville thing, I did not read the same way you did. Uh, you know, so to me, uh, look, nobody ever asks any Democrat to denounce white supremacy. Okay. Uh, okay. to me, when you ask somebody to denounce white supremacy, it's a little bit like, when did you stop beating your wife? Right. Yeah. It's like the, the It's like the assumption in the question. Well, I mean, I think you and I both know how white supremacists tend to vote, though. (laughs) I mean, prior to the late 60s, it would have been perfectly reasonable to ask Democrats to denounce white supremacy. But we're living in a post-Southern strategy world. You know, I mean, people people should have and did ask Joe Biden to denounce Antifa. And he did, you know, like... I mean, no, nobody asked Donald Trump to denounce Antifa because nobody would ever mistake yeah. Donald Trump for an Antifa supporter. Oh, that's you know? but, but I always thought it was odd that you're taking a person who 
grew up in Manhattan, good grief, you know. I mean, you're talking about a New York inside Hollywood, uh, inside Manhattan, um, you know, the kind of person who was going to Bill and Hillary Clinton's daughter's wedding, uh, you know, somebody who used to get awards from Jesse Jackson from the Rainbow Coalition, if he affirms white supremacy. I thought that was ridiculous. Well, I mean, I, I think it's reasonable when a lot of white supremacists are coming out and endorsing him to say, will you distance yourself from these endorsements? And he seemed extremely reluctant to do so, you know? Um, yeah, you know. I, but okay, so let me respond to that. I think that this is part of the, this is part of the Trump psyche, all right? Uh, okay. Okay. So, you know, people may have seen the documentaries that he was, um, he was very fond of Roy Cohn. Do you know who Roy Cohn is? I don't. Okay. Roy Cohn was, uh, as a lawyer, he was an assistant to Senator McCarthy. Mm -hmm. You know, the Red Scare. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Cohn became one of the most vicious and powerful New York litigators of all time. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was also a gay man, flamboyantly gay. Uh, And, uh, and Cohn was a, he was one of the most competitive fighters. All right. Mm -hmm. And uh, Trump loved Roy Cohn, Mm -hmm. loved him. Mm -hmm. And Cohn was the kind of guy, first of all, if you ate dinner with him, he'd reach over and help himself to the steak on your plate, you know, (laughs) you know, uh, and, and Cohn, uh, Cohn, his philosophy was you never show one ounce of of weakness, Mm -hmm. right? And if anybody comes at you, you come back 10 times as hard, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's Trump. Yeah. That's that's what he believes, right? Uh, and so, he, in the way that, so I rendered my apology, Trump would never, ever do that. And he's not ever going to do that, right? Sure. To him, sure. to him, that is a betrayal of everything he believes that is good or right. Mm-hmm. So if you ever expect him to act in a sensitive way or a way that admits fault or a way that could open the door to weakness, he won't do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I would say that I probably, that I probably just, accepted that part of his his psychological makeup uh mm-hmm. i did not admire it uh but you know accepted as kind of who he was i i, I know you um you posted uh something today i believe and we, we were talking about this before we we hit record um but yeah about um some of the response you've gotten to the post you made um do you want to talk about that a little bit Sure. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that I noted, now, you know, first of all, I have to say the the response to the apology post was was rather large. I was surprised. Yeah, uh, I, it got shared quite a bit. I think a lot oh of people gosh. saw it. Yeah, yeah. You know, went, went all the way around. I, you know, and one of the one of the reactions I thought was interesting was that a lot of people said something along the lines of, "It must have been hard to write this." I have to tell you, so uh, I do not share this with Donald Trump. I I, <laughs> I have never thought uh, that it was bad or a sign of weakness to say that you're wrong about something. Hmm. Uh, you know, to me, to me, part of what part of what was so bad about Donald Trump, and I think this is what a lot of people picked up on, and that I I maybe failed to grasp the significance of, 
is that he would never admit that he's wrong, right? Mm-hmm. For reasons we've kind of discussed. But I, mm-hmm. my perspective is I trust somebody more if they will admit that they were wrong. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I think it's critical to know that somebody's views are revisable, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, I, I, I did not feel any pain at all in saying, hey, you know what? I was wrong about Donald Trump. Uh, this judgment that I held, you know, in a lot of tension, mind you, but this judgment that I held uh, was the wrong judgment and um, and potentially a catastrophic judgment uh, sure. because um, I gave my support to somebody who, who you know, not only might have implemented a policy you disagreed with, uh, but much more threateningly uh, might have done lasting damage to the fundamental traditions of the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's, I don't, I don't have any trouble apologizing for that. I apologize for it on this podcast. Uh, I was wrong. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think I will make that particular mistake again. I'll make others, but not that one. <laughs> well, he has been talking about running in 2024. So um... right, he's dead. He's dead. No, seriously. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what we're going to find out, what we're going to find out is, so, you know, uh, Trump tweeted something maybe today about 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 the seventy five million people who supported him in the election. Oh yeah, I don't think I saw that. But, but here's the thing: I'm guessing that like sixty five million of those are mortified. Yeah, right now. you know. Sure. The, question, the question is: this is a big question for the Republicans. Mm-hmm. What percentage of those who voted for Donald Trump are Donald Trump bitter enders? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my perception, and I can tell you this just from being on local radio here in West Tennessee. This, I live in a very pro-Trump area. Mm-hmm. Fair, mm-hmm. okay. I was on the radio today with a couple of good old boys, okay, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> talking about Donald Trump and his recent actions. These are both guys who strongly supported Trump, the hosts of the show, mm-hmm. and uh, they were both in the camp of you know, well you know, he's wet the bed. It's over now. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I think that, I think that, you know, 90% of his support is going to melt away after mm-hmm. what he's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely um, gotten that vibe from certain corners of the internet. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I'm in Madison. I'm in a pretty, pretty blue county out here. So I, I, you know. You talking about Madison, Wisconsin? Yes, sir. Yeah. Ah, see, we call that the people's state of Madison. The people's state of Madison. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's us and Milwaukee against the rest of the state, basically. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, it's a little harder for me to keep my, my ear to the ground uh, regarding Red America than it, than it was yep. three or four years ago when I lived in Oklahoma. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I definitely can believe that. <laughs> it's funny you say that because the last time I met somebody from Madison, they introduced themselves to me as a cisgendered male. <laughs> Madison, I was like, whoa, that is different. That is that is not the experience I have on a daily basis. But thank I, you. I I can't I, say I, it's. I can't say it's something I've personally run into out here, but I, okay. I don't, I don't doubt that it happens. Um, yeah. <laughs> and as a fellow cisgendered male, um, <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I was thinking, well, your beard kind of gave that away, but I don't know. Maybe it's not. true. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. All right. Well, I mean, let, let, let me uh, let me ask you uh, this one question, and then we'll we'll wrap up. Which is, aside from your uh, new beliefs themselves, what did you learn from changing your mind about this? I well, I'll tell you. Uh, I have always thought of myself as somebody who had very good judgment, um, mm-hmm. and especially about people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, this has simply strongly reinforced my Christian beliefs about my own fallibility. Mm. My heart uh, is deceitful above because, all things. Again, again, I just want to be clear. I mean, people are going to hear me, you know, jousting with you about the, uh, about the public policy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But that's a different level. That's, you know, what we're talking about is something existential. Here. Sure. Sure. And, uh, and to be wrong about something that important uh, you know, it's a pretty big mistake. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be a lot more careful. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if you want to comment on this or not. Um, you know, you're about 15 years older than I am. So I, you know, I was a, I was a kid when Bill Clinton was in office. Um, so, you know, I don't necessarily have a ton of perspective on this. Yeah. Um, but I, I do remember, you know, the religious right going on and on about character matters, character is the most important thing in a public figure. And, uh, you know, I'm far from the first person to point this out. I'm like the millionth person to point that out. But, you know, during the Trump era, which is now thankfully coming to a close, the the religious right just seemingly completely abandoned that at the drop of a hat. And I don't I don't think I've heard any of the I don't think I've heard any of these prominent figures um, like James Dobson or whoever even answering the question of what happened to that. You know, I don't know. (laughs) Well, it's it's. That's a fairly complex answer to that question. I'll tell you a couple of things. I mean, first of all, the the verdict of history, the verdict of of America was was that <clears throat> that it was wrong to impeach Bill Clinton over this. Okay, was that? Uh, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> I feel like I've I feel like I've heard really mixed views about that on both the right yeah. and the left. I mean, so I don't know. I'll tell you from my perspective. From my perspective, it was warranted, and I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's not. The, I mean, so first of all, I don't like adultery and things like that. But second, he had sex with a with a subordinate, somebody who's really, really subordinate. Oh, right? for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, look, the CEO of McDonald's was fired like two years ago for that. Uh, you know, I thought that was totally valid. Sure. Um, but but second, um, it's important to remember. And, and in fact, I don't know to the degree to which people have looked at this, but uh, if you look at the opinion surveys of church-going evangelicals, okay, mm-hmm. church-going evangelicals did not support Donald Trump in the primaries. Sure, he was not their first choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, now I'm, you know, look clearly he grew on people. All right, mm-hmm. there's no question about that. Uh, but in the primaries in 2016, church-going, you know, people would go twice or, or more a month. Mm-hmm. They did not vote for him. Uh, and so, uh, I would say that they were holding that same standard, but then they got to the point where, well, okay, it's Trump or Hillary. We'll take Trump. Sure. All right. Well, let me, um, ask you this. I I have three final questions. I want to ask all, I I ask all of my guests. Um, 
this is at least ostensibly a philosophy podcast. Um, <laughs> so I want to I want to dig into these questions of how do we know truth and how do we know ourselves. Um, so first of all, what is identity? How do you know your identity? Does everyone even have an identity? What do you think? Yeah, you know, um, probably the person who has shaped my view on this the most is Michael Sandel. Mm -hmm. um, because he talks about the sort of the Lockean abstract choosing self mm -hmm. versus what he calls the situated self. Mm -hmm. Um. Now, I always wanted to be the abstract choosing self hmm. because if I'm the abstract choosing self, then I don't have to feel it so hard. The legacy of slavery, uh, <laughs> the legacy of segregation, you know, things like that. Right. Sure. Sure. Uh, because then I can say, well, look, I wasn't born into that. I have nothing to do with that. You know, I arrived via the test tube in the year 1970 and I'm not responsible. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so that's the abstract choosing self. But the reality is, is that uh, is that I am actually, you know, the grandson of Paul Springer Baker and the son of Terry Hunter Baker and uh, the 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 grandson of Winnie Baker and the the uh, son of Rebecca Baker, um, one family of which was hardcore Church of Christ, the other of which was Catholic school Catholic. Wow. Uh, in the South, you know, <laughs> I mean, there's no question that that tension in that relationship formed me. And, and that is also the reason I didn't become a Christian until I went to college because sure. I viewed religion as a threat. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, so I can't deny that my experiences, my background are a huge part of who I am. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it's everything. I don't believe in kind of a determinism of character. Uh, but I think that it would be foolish uh, to deny that being a white Southerner born in a particular period hasn't had a massive impact on who I am. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, uh, being a Christian as well. I mean, now, now what I hope, what I hope is that, is that I'm, I'm like the men of Athens, uh, you know, Paul goes to the Areopagus and kind of testifies to the resurrection and, and the nature of this unknown God. I, I kind of hope that I'm, like a person in that audience mm -hmm. who listens to Paul and says, you're right, right? Mm -hmm. this, mm -hmm. this is who I am, right? My, my identity is found in Christ. That's who I'm trying to be. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, but it's, but it's over against, right? All those sort of factors. All right. Second, what is human nature? Are we all the same deep down? Are we all different deep down? Are we all blank slates? What do you think? <clears throat> I definitely don't believe in the blank slate uh, mm -hmm. because I have children. Um, <laughs> do you have children? I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have two little girls. Yeah. It, it seems to me, you know, now having an 18 year old and a 15 year old that uh, both of whom I have rigorously tried to shape in a particular image uh, that to some extent they are themselves. Hmm. Right. I mean, that uh, that that Andrew, to some extent, is going to be who Ang Andrew is. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the same is true of grace. Mm -hmm. uh, and so no matter how much I, as the thoughtful, devoted, conservative Christian parent <laughs> uh, might be trying to mold and shape them, 
um, you know, I can have an impact, but it's, it is not, it does not all belong to me or, or the schools they go to, uh, to some extent they are who God made them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so no, I don't believe in the blank slate. I, uh, nature versus nurture. Um, but boy, nature gets a big piece of the pie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's interesting to me how, how often when I ask this question, people come back to their kids. Um, <laughs> I, I, I saw a quote and I, I, for, I saw this on Twitter. So I have, I, and this was a long time ago, so I forget who said it, but, um, you know, it was, it was something like it's, it's amazing. It's, it's actually no surprise that so many of the enlightenment thinkers who believed in the blank slate, that so many of them didn't have kids or something like that. <laughs> But well, yes, Rousseau, you know, Rousseau used to drop his off at the orphanage. Uh, <laughs> that's one solution, anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I have I have a five I have a five year old and a seven year old, and they could not be more different. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you know, there's only so much I can do to change either one of them. <laughs> that's right. I mean, you know, mom is still mom, and dad is still dad. It's same mom and dad, same house, True. same True. food. You know. <laughs> All right. And, and uh, finally, Hunter, what is truth? How do you know truth? How can you know when you found truth? What do you think? Well, uh, so counter to what a lot of people believe about Christians, I wholeheartedly endorse scientific truth. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can have scientific truth about anything, I want it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I sure as heck don't want to cross that bridge or get on that airplane uh, or... <laughs> <laughs> or do anything, you know, uh, when the transporter is invented, get in the transporter. I don't want to do any of that. Uh, <laughs> if, I, if I don't have scientific truth, um, I, I am interested in knowing what the truth about the climate is. Uh, I am certainly concerned about the environment. Uh, so I want scientific truth if I can have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, um, there is no question that uh, science is simply inadequate to deal with a whole lot of stuff in our lives. Mm. Um, You know, just, there are just massive areas of meaning and identity and the examined life and what's right and what's wrong, you know, all of this stuff that science just cannot help us with even a little bit. Sure. Uh, And for me, I mean, I was the guy who went to Florida state university in 1988 and uh, I really did not have a compass. Uh, I was not a Christian. Uh, I was the kind of guy who was annoyed by all the Jesus stuff at Christmas. Um, <laughs> you know, I just, I was like, dude, don't show me that stupid drummer boy thing. Give me the Santa Claus, right? You know, Santa Claus and Rudolph and Frosty. That's what I wanted. Sure. And, sure. uh, you know, so I'm very, you know, typical consumeristic materialistic American. Hmm. Um, and all I can tell you is, is that uh, I, I had an encounter uh, with Jesus Christ first through his followers. Uh, I met some people in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and I was just stunned by what I saw as their decency and uh, their sincerity. And even though I was incredibly put off by how much they talked about Jesus Christ, I mean, I, I can't tell you, I used to be so embarrassed anytime somebody even said the name Jesus. Hmm embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up with all the, you know, Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart scandals and stuff like that. And so I was just horrified by all of it. Sure. 
And, yeah. um, but I met these Christ followers and, uh, and I was amazed by them. And, uh, and then I read a book by Peter Kreeft called Between Heaven and Hell. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if people realize, but C.S. Lewis, Aldous Huxley, and John F. Kennedy died within 24 hours of each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the book explores a conversation between these three men. And in the course of reading that book, I I found that by the time I finished it, I believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Uh, so I went from kind of being a guy who liked to hang around the Christians to being a Christian. Wow. And uh, so since that time, I mean, I just, I have come to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is King. Um, and boy, I'll tell you, it's one thing, one thing that's an interesting effect, maybe the Trump phenomenon has had on me. I have found that in the past few years, I do a lot of speaking. Mm-hmm. I have found that I have continually said to people that, uh, that the most important political reality that I can express to you is not about Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton or anything. Uh, the most important political reality is that Jesus Christ is king. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ is actually the king. He's the one king who's worthy of the name. Uh, you look at you look at the disastrous, you know, monarchy of of Israel and Judah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's that's the king that they wanted. Uh, but Jesus Christ is the real king, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I seek to make that uh, the reality that I respond to in my life. And um, you know. One reflection on the mistake I made with Trump is that uh, I may I may have been too enamored of uh, of avoiding my worst fears uh, mm. from the Democrats, you know, uh, or or prizing victory too highly or, or something like that. But uh, but the bedrock is Jesus Christ is King. Very well said. Very well said. Well, Hunter, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, it really was a pleasure talking to you. Um, before you want to go, before you go, um, do you have anything you want to plug your blog or anything else? Uh, I would just love to be in uh, conversation with people on, uh, on, uh, social media. I just, you know, I'm kind of the oldest Hunter Baker, so you can find me pretty easily. <laughs> uh, and also I've written books, uh, the end of secularism, political thought, a student's guide, uh, and the system has a soul. Well, there it is. Cool. I might actually have the end of secularism on my to read list. And I <laughs> did not realize I was talking to its author. So you, you would like that one because it's not a Republican book. <laughs> <laughs> right on. All right. Well, thank you again. Um, this has been Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington, and you can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington or just go to my website, LukeTHarrington.com. When fascism comes to America, it will be wrapped in the flag and carrying the cross. Um, That is allegedly (laughs) a quote from Upton Sinclair, uh, the leftist novelist uh, from the early 20th century, um, best known for writing The Jungle, probably, which was the the novel about the meatpacking industry in the Chicago area that... Uh, led to the modern um, uh, food inspection system. Anyway, uh, I can't find a good source for that quote. 
it is probably apocryphal, um, but it is a heck of a quote. I think I was in high school when I first saw it, and at the time I kind of rolled my eyes and was like, yeah, okay, Upton, you're being dramatic. Uh, but Donald Trump has spent his political career living like someone who is aware of that quote and wants to act out the most ridiculous parody of it possible. It is almost literally true of him. We have footage from the uh, CPAC of him hugging and kissing the American flag, um, not quite wrapping himself in it, but eh, close enough. The guy gassed a bunch of peaceful protesters to pose for a photo op where he was waving a Bible around. Not quite literally across, but again, close enough. Um, and the man is a fascist. I'm sorry, but he is. Now, we, I mean, for the last 80-odd years of American history, fascist has been an insult. Um to the point that it doesn't seem to mean much of anything anymore. Uh, you know, George W. Bush was a fascist. Barack Obama was a fascist. Every politician in my lifetime has been accused of being a fascist of someone. But fascism is, I mean, it's not an insult. It's a political philosophy. Um, Benito Mussolini supposedly, again, probably an apocryphal quote, but supposedly said fascism is just another word for corporatism. It's the merger of state and corporate power. That's kind of how he's conducted the economy, <laughs> treating corporations as a, as an extension of uh, state power. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, the man was an author. The, the man is an authoritarian. He is, um, I think racist, you know, like again, racist has been treated as an insult long enough that it, people act like it doesn't mean anything, but he has done many racist things. Um, he's a nationalist, right? Like those are all components of fascism as a philosophy of government. And I think last uh, Wednesday, um, uh, 10 days ago, as this goes live, 10 days ago, we saw that culminate in what I believe could be accurately called an attempted coup. Now, it wasn't an effective coup. Um, it was pretty embarrassing as coups go. But if we had seen, if, if they had been showing footage on this of the news and told people this is taking place somewhere in Latin America, I don't think people would have mistaken it for anything other than a coup. And there were literal... Nazis there. <laughs> we had people wearing, uh, you know, we had people waving the Nazi flag. We had people wearing shirts uh, that said Auschwitz camp or Camp Auschwitz or something. We had someone wearing a shirt that said six million is not enough in reference to the number of Jews killed in the Holocaust. This was about as literally fascist as things can get. Um, now, was Donald Trump legally guilty of inciting a riot? Uh, I think the pretty obvious answer to that is no. Um, in the in the U.S., we have kind of 
uniquely broad uh, protections of free speech, um, which is generally a good thing, um, but it also makes it very hard to convict people of inciting a riot. Uh, by the legal definition of inciting a riot, you kind of have to say, go riot right now, I command you, <laughs> or something along those lines. Um, but the behavior of Donald Trump was not the behavior of a man who wants peace. Um, a month ago, give or take, he fired several prominent people at the Pentagon, replaced them with toady loyalists. Um, on the day when Congress was convening to count the results of the electoral vote, um, he ensured that there was minimal uh, security at the Capitol when people began pushing into the Capitol, acting violently, beating up cops. People begged him to send in the National Guard, and he refused. He, wa he was watching the whole thing on TV, and he refused to do anything about it. Um, Mike Pence finally had to call in the National Guard, uh, which I don't think, strictly speaking, he actually had the authority to do so. Um, but that's what happens when you abdicate your authority. Um, the behavior of Donald Trump was not the behavior of a man seeking peace. <laughs> um, he's been lying for months about how the election was stolen, telling people the only way that they'll get it back is if they, quote, fight at this uh, conference, at, at this uh, uh, rally. Rudy Giuliani said, we need trial by combat. Now, what could that possibly mean other than violence, right? Like, we've already had a bunch of trials, <laughs> or at least lawsuits. Um, he, he was, he's not talking about trials. He's clearly talking about combat. Um, and this has happened again and again throughout Donald Trump's presidency that he has deliberately stoked the fires of violence, both from his supporters and from his detractors. He, this is a man who thrives on violence and deliberately creates it. Every time he says something inflammatory, it results in violence. And then we all act surprised. Like, who could have possibly imagined that the president of the United States wants violence except for everybody who listened to him? <laughs> Now, Donald Trump is, has become the first president to be impeached twice. Um, and 10 Republicans voted for impeachment. That's not a lot out of 100 and uh, it's 180 some, I think, in the House of Representatives. You can look up the exact number if you want. I'm going off the top of my head here. It's not a lot, um, but it does make it the most bipartisan impeachment of all time. Um, the first impeachment of Trump was extremely partisan. The impeachment of Bill Clinton, again, very partisan. And the impeachment of Andrew Johnson, again, very partisan. But we had 10 Republicans vote for it, you know, maybe because their lives had been actively put in danger by the behavior of the, the president. Um, 
impeachment in our history has pretty much always been used as a political tool, you know, not as an, a way to actively seek justice, which fine. Um, but it's hard to deny something that is right in front of your face. Now, as I said, I do not think that in a court of law, you could legally convict the president of incitement of a riot, but that's not what impeachment is. Impeachment is a tool for taking away power for people who are dangerous. Um, and that's what Donald Trump is. It is imperative that we convict him, whether before or after he leaves office. It's looking likely that it will be after. Fine. It is imperative that we convict him because we need to send a clear message that fascism is not okay, that violence is not a tool to take power in this country, that there are certain things that disqualify people from holding office, and one of them is being an enemy of democracy. Democracy is fragile. All right. I have talked about that before, that violent struggle for power is historically the natural state of things among humans. And democracy is a tool for avoiding that violent struggle. Donald Trump does not believe in democracy. His most ardent followers do not believe in democracy. And they need to be stopped. Now, there are rumors, um, off the record chatter in Washington that Mitch McConnell is actually open to convicting the president this time around, um, which would be incredible, uh, because <laughs> Mitch McConnell and the rest of the Republican Senate has basically been walking in lockstep behind Donald Trump for four years, um, it will not happen if he does not actually whip the votes. So Mitch McConnell, I know you listen to the show. I know you're the biggest fan. <laughs> um, we need to make it happen though, is the point. This is, you know, this is, this is not a joke. Like American democracy is a very fragile thing. It's on a very, uh, precarious point at this moment in time. And it is imperative that Donald Trump be convicted and barred from ever holding office again. That's it for this week. Um, if you like the show and you want to help me out, please uh, go on Apple podcasts, leave a review, a rating, preferably five stars. I will accept four stars or maybe two stars. And like, I don't know, a high five. I'll take a high five. Um, Every rating, every review pushes it up, etc. You know the spiel. You know how it works. Um, if you want to support me financially, I do have a Ko-Fi. Uh, that's ko-fi.com slash change my mind. Uh, you can toss me a tip, toss a coin to your podcaster, O Valley of Plenty. Um, if you don't want to give me money for nothing, or chicks for free for that matter, um, I do, uh, have a book out and it is 
not at all related to what I'm talking about here. It is a funny book about the Bible. Uh, it's called Murder Bears, Moonshine, and Mayhem. Strange stories from the Bible to leave you amused, bemused, and hopefully informed. Um, out from HarperCollins as of August 2020. I have heard many good things about it. They tell me it's funny. They tell me it's informative. Those are what I was going for. So, yeah, uh, you can find that on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold or just go to murderbearsbook.com. Uh, there's a fun little quiz there you can take to see how much you know about the weirdest parts of the Bible. Um, I want to thank uh, Jonathan Clausen for editing the show. He's a great guy. I want to thank Hunter for coming on the show. Uh, he did so at very short notice, and it was a very enjoyable conversation. So shout out to you, Hunter. Um, I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the podcast. They are good guys. Check them out at ravencreeksc.com. And I want to thank you for listening to Change My Mind. I'm Luke T. Harrington, and please don't be afraid to change your mind. <laughs>